0: You're listening to the Third Cup of Coffee podcast. Good day, everybody. Randy Bolander here on the Third Cup of Coffee. Glad to have you with us. Broadcasting once again from our unfinished, dusty basement. We're working on getting some things together and getting some space finished up down here. But right now, it's still like a cough fest. A dust settles everywhere as we are finishing drywall. More than you were wondering. But now you know. Hey, school starts this week. Oh yeah, school starts. After a long, hot summer of uh, popsicles and trips to the pool and all those sorts of things, my tribe now enters a season of three-ring binders and early mornings and lunches and bring it on. This is the first time, no, no joke, first time in 28 years, that Kelsey and I will not have a small child in our home during the school year. It's been 28 years. Jackson's 28. And so from that point, we have had little ones in our home constantly. Now, I'm I'm trying to think. There may have been times where they might have been school age and we were homeschooling. But we have never been empty house, like ever. And so we're off to the races. We'll see how this goes. might be amazingly productive. Yesterday at the bridge, we talked about the idea of pursuing the fullness of God, overlaid that a little bit with the loss of the Ark of the Covenant and what it meant when suddenly Israel did not have that thing that made them different and brought them protection and power. Stay with us. going to be dipping our toe into the Old Testament this morning, which we have not done for a while. But before we do that, just for context, let's kick over to the new. If you have your Bibles, look at Romans chapter 10, pulling one verse out of there to just kind of prove a point, And then we'll move on into the Old Testament. And the point is this, and then we'll, we'll get into the verse. Thankfully, salvation is pretty black and white. Okay. I mean, good for us. Salvation is pretty black and white. If you look at romans chapter 10 verse 13 it says for everyone who calls on the name of the lord will be saved people like reinhard Bonnke have committed their life's work to that kind of verse he would you know i can't do the accent but (laughs) africa will be saved and he just had this idea that if people say yes to jesus something happens there and thousands of people come to him in that little verse everyone who calls the name of the lord will be saved or shall be saved. There's a subject, everyone, you can opt into that. You can make this Bible verse about yourself. And there's an action calling on the name of the Lord. You can do what the verse says to do. And if you do, there is a cosmic reaction and you're saved. And it works for everybody. One day we will stand before the father and maybe after a million years of just looking at him, we might just kind of give somebody the side eye and realize there's somebody there who you are completely surprised that they're there based on their Facebook presence, okay? Do you know what they wrote on Facebook? Who would have thought that they'd make it? And you may you know, call an angel, usher over and go, how did they get here? And he's gonna go, it's a, that it's crazy verse in Romans. It works for everybody. It's that simple. If you call on the name of the Lord, you're saved. The gospel is so clear, it's actually offensive to us. I mean, we like that it works for us, but we're a little shocked that it works for that guy. But it works for everybody. Interestingly, once you get past that, things get really complicated. And it's not so simple, and it's not so easy. Almost everything the Lord does is layered and complicated and you can actually be in faith and be saved and still have less than all that he has for you. You can make it if that's your goal with a lot less of his presence in your life than is available to you because all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. But not everybody walks in the fullness of what he has for them. Would you agree that he is better than you realize he is right now? Think about, go back five years, you go, oh, he's better than I knew that he was, okay? He's better than we know he is now. So if he's better than we know he is now, why would we not pursue it? You can be good with God in the way of salvation, and yet there can be distance in the deep recesses of your heart, in your residual struggle, and in your stuff, And it's not weakness to admit that it's actually immaturity to deny it. The last two years have shown us all stuff in our heart that we did not know was there. you know, anger about things and frustration and irritation with people. And while we had our way, we were actually quite nice people. We're fine if nobody presses our buttons. But our buttons are getting pressed and there's stuff in there and the lord said yeah yeah you're saved we're not questioning your salvation but we could clean you up a little bit and i could actually dwell within you in a strong and a powerful way and you could host my presence if you wanted that this week we're going to talk about a group of people who had a form of religion they were doing the stuff and they were they had an identity of the people of god but they decided to pursue the fullness of what it meant to be a person of God, and they found challenges along the way. Specifically, we're talking about David and the people he was leading. We're going to base this out of First Chronicles. So flip back to First Chronicles chapter 13. We'll also dive into 2 Samuel a little bit because it's a parallel passage. You ever read Chronicles... And then read the books of First and Second Samuel and you go, did this happen twice? No, it happened once. It's the, some of the same stories written from Ezra or the perspective of Samuel. So when those two stories coincide, it's very interesting because you have two people telling the same story and often tell it almost identically. And what they tell us in this story is there is a difference between determining in your heart you want to honor God and actually hosting his presence in your life. That's two different things. And the first one is important. You're determined to honor him, but you can actually fall into that and want to just honor him out of pure grit and determination, and it becomes very much like legalism. Or you can ask him to allow you to hope. his presence in your everyday life, meaning not just talking about him once in a while, but actually talking with him throughout your day and recognizing that he dwells within you and saying, okay, if he's here, then how do I live? Have I created a space in my life where he can reside? Kelsey and I had a friend years ago, Rodney Dukes. Uh, Rodney was a big man, just, just big in every proportion. So big, honestly, that there was some furniture that that Rodney just could not, I'm just mysterious, couldn't sit it. And we got talking about it one day. And uh, I don't know, I'm sure he brought it up, because I wouldn't have. But he told me, he goes, Randy, there are times I enter a room, he goes, when I enter the room, the first thing that I do is I look around to see if there's anything here that can bear my weight. It's the first thing I think of. And when I realize there's not, I realize then we're not ready for me to come sometimes the Lord enters a room he looks around is there anything here that can bear my weight like is there anything here that can actually bear the weight of what it means for my presence to rest here sometimes when we don't sense his presence might be a gift because we have not built the internal structure in which to host and bear the presence of the Lord so looking at first Chronicles starting 13 1 2 David consulted with the commanders of thousands and of hundreds and with every leader. And he said to all the assembly of Israel, if it seems good to you and from the Lord our God, let us send abroad to our brothers who remain in all the lands of Israel, as well as to the priests and the Levites in the cities that have pasture lands, that they may be gathered unto us. Now here we see really David's pastoral side, because he realizes the people of Israel have been scattered all over creation. even the. The Levites, they're just all out over there. And he goes, bring everybody together. We're going to go somewhere. We want to go somewhere together. And it's the pastor's heart. It is the heart of a pastor that everyone would get where we are going. Okay. It's one of the greatest challenges in pastoring is to bring people in from the fringes and go, no, no, come on, come on. We're going to do this all together. And that's what David was doing here. He's like, bring everybody all together because there are people who are of the jewish ethnicity that are not really walking this out in the way the lord told us to walk it out they would identify as jews but they're not doing the jewish stuff they're kind of living their own lives He goes, bring them all together it will be a little bit like those who would identify as christians but they're really not walking in the fullness of it and pastor david pastor warrior poet king david says bring them all in because there were Jewish people out in the countryside who were the people of God and had a destiny that was greater than what they were living. And as a Christian, it is possible that we might not be very far off the way that those Jewish people are living. I mean, unless you are at the peak of your spiritual game, there is more than what you are experiencing. And we're kind of living off that sense of, well, we are who we are. Yeah, you are, but you can be more. And we find that more together. King David was a character. I mean, warts and all, when he would go after something, he went after it with his whole heart. And throughout his life, he showed this intense hunger, this deep, deep hunger for the Lord and would do almost anything to get it. Now, you were born with really two drives, one to sleep and to eat. Okay, you were born hungry. You were born that way. You came out yelling, where is the food? That's you know, you had three skills. You eat, sleep, and you know, take care of what you ate. But but those are the two drives where you were born hungry. Somewhere along the line, though, we have filled that hunger with things that aren't necessarily nutritious, but we're just kind of like sorry i didn't mean to bring up the donuts but we bring ourselves you know we fill ourselves with these things and suddenly we're not hungry anymore bolander kids leave church after after church you hungry they're like no no not hungry why because we filled ourselves with things that really don't meet the need but we're no longer hungry and david kept that edge he was hungry for the lord he knew that there was a more that he desperately went after he's like "I i know i'm good with god but there's more and i want it and it, he knew it involved worshiping the living God in the manner that had been mandated in the Old Testament. And there were instructions for that and they weren't walking that out well. There are, fine, there are ways that God finds proper in honoring him and other ways that he says that's not the way you do it. Just like there are rules in how to work with 220 volt power. You know, you don't wanna freelance that stuff. Never trust an electrician named Sparky. It's just bad, because there are ways to do that, and there are ways not to do that, and there are ways to interact with the Lord, and there are ways that you don't do that. I was driving home Thursday night during that, elect- that electrical storm. I told Kelsey when I got home, I said, I could have shut the headlights off. Lightning was so constant. It was just everywhere. And it was at a distance. It was in the atmosphere. The Bible says that that stuff emanates from his throne. Lightnings and it's not even in the vicinity. It's like coming out of him It's like no there are ways you interact with this God and there are ways you do not And in the Old Testament they had been instructed in how to honor the Lord in relation to this little thing They called the Ark of the Covenant The Ark was both symbol and reality It was a symbol of God's presence, but also like he's everywhere, but he's really kind of in there Pardon me for these concepts, these theological things that are very difficult to grasp. I don't get it. He's there, but he's everywhere, but he's really in there. But they had a problem. They lost the Ark. They're like, they lost it. Throughout the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant didn't just represent the presence of God. I mean, his spirit really did dwell there. And of course, he's omnipresent, and we don't really understand how that works, but he is there, and they had lost it in a battle with the Philistines. This long-running enemy they were fighting with, and they learned if you took the ark to the battle, the battle went a lot better. You were there with the Lord, and something went haywire, and they lost it. Can you imagine the conversation when they went back to tell the general? We we lost the ark? What do you mean you lost the ark? Like you lost the keys? Uh, No, we lost it like the Afghans lost Kandahar. Like it's gone. The enemy has it now. Their ace in the hole, the one thing that made them different. They were people of presence. And they lost it. It had fallen into the hands of those that they had been fighting for so long. The Jewish people couldn't even imagine life without the presence of God, and it was gone. Just read you a couple of verses here out of 1 Samuel, the other perspective this 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 4, to show you what a shock this was, okay? Eli, the high priest, has sons in the battle, Phineas and Ver, no, Phineas and Hophni. If you have kids, that was funny. If not, you're like, he says many strange things I don't understand. Um, These two two sons he has in the battle, but he knows the arcs of the battle too. First Samuel chapter four, verse 12, the man of Benjamin ran from the battle lines and came to Shiloh the same day with his clothes torn. And dirt on his head when he arrived Eli is the high priest was sitting by the side of the road watching for his heart trembled for the Ark of God he's got two kids in the battle he's worried about the Ark and when the man came into the city and told him the news all the city cried out when Eli heard the sound of the outcry he said what is this uproar then the man hurried and came and told Eli now Eli was 98 years old And his eyes were set so he could not see. And the man said to Eli, I am he who has come from the battle. I have fled from the battle today. And he said, how did it go, my son? Awkward pause. Remember, it did not go well. Finally, the guy says, he who brought the news answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines. There's been a great defeat among the people. Your two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead and the Ark of the Covenant has been captured. As soon as he mentions the Ark of God, Eli falls over backwards from his seat by the side of the gate. His neck was broken, and he died. He hears about the death of his sons, but what rattles his cage? We've lost the Ark. We've lost the presence of God. And probably as much as the Jews wanted it back, the Philistines didn't know what to do with it because it seems that everywhere they took this this ark something terrible happened they had captured it they knew it was important to the people of god but they didn't know how to handle it it was like they had broken into the zoo and captured a rabid chimpanzee <laughs> do we take this home because it causes trouble philistines took it to a place called ashdod and they added it to their collection of trophies and gods and other captured gods they put it right next to their their big totem of dagon they went to bed the next night they wake up and the big totem of dagon is face down to which they replied dagon i did repeat that joke i've told that before and i'm going to keep repeating it cuz it's a good one so they set it up because you know things happen sometimes your idols fall over and they set it up And the next day, it falls over again. It's decapitated now. The head's off of it. Now, we identify with the Jews, but sometimes we live like the Philistines. We try to host the presence of God in the presence of things that cannot stand before him. We got things in our life that just will not stand before him. And when he comes in, those things fall. That makes us uncomfortable. We prop those back up, and we actually think, I might have liked Dagon better than I like this ark that we captured. What in your life would not stand in his presence? What habits have you picked up in the last two years and you have made excuses because of stress or because of anxiety and you've picked up things that do not please him in the slightest and you, you admit that if he really walked in the room in a physical way, it would not stand. That's what it means to think about hosting his presence. What are the things I got to get out of here? Because they're not going to last so back to the main trunk of the story here david's heart and the hearts of the people were right they wanted to host the presence they wanted them more but they didn't have the ark they had a heart to follow god but they weren't able to host his presence the way that the bible had described for them to do at this point in history are they sincere i think so they're sincere we want to follow god But sincerity is the start of your spiritual journey, not the end of it. Some of you make excuses for yourself or for others because your heart's in the right place. They're sincere. They really, yeah, but there's all kinds of junk in their lives that are completely dishonoring to the Lord and they cannot bear the weight of the presence of him visiting. Yeah, but they mean well. Mean well is the beginning, not the end. They mean well here. They're sincere, but there's more to it so 1 chronicles back to 1 chronicles 13 3 and 4. then let us bring the ark of god to us for we did not seek it in the days of saul it's been gone for a while we didn't even go looking for it we just continued to have services we like we were just kind of jews without god we were just kind of like christians without his presence didn't do it the whole time saul was in charge but a new sheriff in town let's go get it let us bring the ark to god if we did not seek it in the days of saul all of the assembly agreed to do so for the thing was right in the eyes of people i've been a part of places where just agreeing to do so would have been treated like a great victory you know hey we talked about it andy stanley pastors in atlanta a great speaker on leadership and he actually pokes hard at people in ministry about this. He says, because in ministry, the ability to talk well, to stand in front of people and put sentences together is a skill that gets recognized. For some reason, in ministry, people tend to think that when things have been talked about, something happened. And if they got into a meeting and they talked about it for two hours, they walk away going, that's a great meeting. We've got a lot done. No, he didn't do jack squat. You just talked about it. Talking about it is the start, but there's got to be some follow-up. There's got to be some action. It's not just good intention. It's not even just good talking about it. You've got to set your heart like the people of God did and go get him. Let me say, if you are not encountering the presence of God on a day-to-day life, the onus is on you to go find him like what do you mean? go find him like walk no it's to search your heart and go okay what can't bear his presence here because just talking about it and being sincere is not going to change anything some people go well I'm just trying to be faithful in the little things I love that but you know what the value of being faithful in the little things is you get to be faithful in big things there's there's a there's a tiered situation there and you can grow and the journey to host his presence is far more intense and intentional than we think, but don't be afraid. There's actually joy in that journey of finding it. Israel decided to go get the ark, and by this time, the Philistines were like, I'm kind of ready to get rid of it, okay? It's destroying my life. Here, you guys take it. God had troubled them so deeply that they knew they were better off with God on the side of God's people than they were trying to to host him. First Chronicles 13, 6 through 8. And David and all Israel went up to Bala, that is to Kareath-Jeriam, that belongs to Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord who sits on the throne above the cherubim. So they were real clear. You know, we're going after the presence. We're going to go get it. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadab, and Uzzah and Ohiah we're driving the cart. They really make a big deal out of that. We brought a new cart. Let's go get God. What should we get him in? I got a new cart. Okay, go get the cart. They bring the cart. Now, this is not a tension-filled road trip. Okay, they, the joy that comes with getting, even chasing after him, is real. It says in verse 8, all And David and all Israel were celebrating before God with all their might, with songs and lyres and harps and trumpets, and tambourines and symbols. I mean they're they're singing as they're going because we're pursuing his presence friends This is what you were made to do You were made to pursue God You were made to get up in the morning and go. I know a little bit about him from yesterday How do I get to know more about him today and not just appreciate him but to chase after him and it's not drudgery to do so there is joy in closing the distance between you and the Lord it's not unthinkable that it might make you a little bit nervous. I mean, last, after all, last time they had the ark, they lost it. They're kind of wondering, would God be mad? Would this be worth the effort? Instead, as they drew near to him, the presence of God was so rich and so thick. That, oh, no, this is good. I know him a little better than I did yesterday. I'm a little closer to the ark than I was the day before. This is good. And all Israel began to sing and to dance as they journeyed. God is challenging the bridge. All right, let's make this personal. God is challenging the bridge to pursue His presence and to host His presence. And there will be joy in that, and it will not be easy, and it will not be cheap. It will be extravagant. Somewhere along the line, we have come up with the idea that cheap is a virtue. And even that that not being extravagant is a virtue. God is the most extravagant being in the entire universe. And he calls people to be like himself. And he says, worship me extravagantly. Don't, don't be reserved. We have taken what we think about money and we've made it about behavior. What's the least that I can do to show the aunt Lord that I'm participating in this worship service? That's about it. Got one. Got one. Maybe. Might get a double. I like this song. Rachel, you know there are songs that, you know, you know, just, yeah, you might get, but that, you know, it's like, we're, we're just so reserved. He's like, no, no, no. You understand you're drawing near to the Lord. Do you understand the presence of God is attracted to how we engage with him? And we're trying to give him a low key high five, you know, he's like, no, 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 pursue me. There's joy in it. God is challenging us to pursue him and it will be the trip of a lifetime to welcome the King of glory into our midst. Now, you've heard enough from me over the last year, two years, three years, however, to know that I am kind of an amateur student of, of revival, particularly in, in the U.S. I, I, I read about this, and this is the stuff that I've, I've told you about before, but I wanted to revisit the idea of Cane Ridge, Kentucky, where in 1801, there was such a move of the Lord. That when it came time to do communion among people that had gathered in this big opening, they they suddenly had to involve pastors from all kinds of different denominations because there weren't even enough pastors from the people who started the thing that served communion to all the people. And the Lord honored it. And the presence was so thick that the local bar owners, who were irritated because they had to close down because nobody was coming to the bar because they were all going to the revival meetings, the local bar owners got together and decided they were gonna ride horses through the meetings and break up the revival. The, imagine the chaos of suddenly guys came in riding horses through the aisles. Like, you know, that was, that was what was about to happen. And the presence of the Lord is so thick that as they approach from a quarter mile away, the Lord knocks these guys off of their horses and they lay in the fields like dead men for days. And people are like, do we touch him? I don't know. I've read about the Ark of the Covenant. Like the presence of the Lord was so thick in these places. And it wasn't just there. You go into the early 1900s with Charles Finney preaching in what they called the burned-over country of upstate New York where nothing had ever happened. And conviction would be so strong, he'd have people come to him and, I want to give my life to the Lord, he'd he'd tell them in in really unusual evangelist fashion, come back next week. Say, well, I want to give my heart to the Lord. Yeah, I want you to think about it. And they had a a row called the worrier's row. It's true. And he would tell people if you want to come to the Lord come sit in the Warriors bench next week You worry about it. You worry about if he's gonna come back before I'm done preaching And they would make these deep commitments. I'm telling you you sat for a week in the Warriors bench You don't walk away from that faith You're serious about that. All of this spills over to early 1900s in Azusa Street where instead of crossing denominational lines suddenly this revival crosses racial lines And the LA Times writes articles about how horrified they are that whites and blacks and Asians are worshiping together. Like that was the offense. And we all think of Azusa Street of being offensive because the outpouring of the spirit. What was really ticked off, what really ticked people off was, was multiracial. All of that was the seedbed in Southern California for what became the Jesus movement in the 60s and the 70s. And here we are in more need of this than of any other time in our lifetime why study that stuff because we need that stuff the manifest presence of God it's like the one thing we haven't tried and I am believing him for an outpouring of his presence not one or even five good services in a row but an extended time of the visitation of the Lord where he is tangible in the place where we walk into the building and the topic is his presence where the younger ones among us our kids grow up thinking that's what church was like mom and dad would go and encounter the Lord what it would do for the state of the body of Christ for us to consider hosting his presence instead of just giving him a high-five as we go by on the weekend it would, be, it would do more for unity than you could possibly imagine. Because the umbrella covering everything from pettiness to deep sin, all of that stuff really gets encountered in the presence of the Lord. And it goes away. But because his presence departed, nobody noticed that he left. And when, he, when he's not present, there will always be these petty relational issues that we wrestle with back when Eli the priest died in shock because the Covenant had, had been stolen one of his daughter's-in-law was pregnant she has a baby she's so heartbroken that even though she's dying in childbirth she names the child Ichabod or the glory of the Lord has departed as a sign he's gone there are times we're honest There'd be a sign over our own meetings that say, No glory. Would save time. Be like McDonald's putting up a sign saying the ice cream machine does not work. Save time. I mean, nobody goes there for the salad. It doesn't have to be this way no matter what we've gone through what we've been through if we pursue him the glory of the Lord will return to the church because the Bible says when we pursue him he, he does not stand far off he comes near even the beginning of our pursuit draws his heart James 4 8 Draw near to God and he will draw near to you that's not a one-time idea in Scripture you look in Jeremiah twenty nine twelve to 14 when you call upon me And Pray to me. I'll hear you Just call my name. I'll hear you. You draw near to me. I'll draw near to you. It goes on to say you seek me. You'll find me I Actually want to be a part of your life So hosting this presence that we're hungry for it is possible Because his presence will reach those who reach for him one thing to remember though and we got to get this before we start asking him to come increased presence means increased responsibility more revelation and understanding of who he is means more weight on the one bearing it. So, if we're going to ask him to come, we've got to build a piece of furniture in our hearts that will bear the weight of the Father. Here's how greater responsibilities played out they're moving the ark back. And from the beginning, things are a little off. I mean, you don't notice it when you read it quickly. But we can tell because scripture says they carried the ark of God on what, what we talk about? New cart. Ah, we got a wagon. Go get a wagon. This thing's heavy. But the ark was never meant to be put on a, on a cart. The ark was meant to be carried by Levites. It's really clear. I mean, there's massive passages in the Old Testament about how to move this thing around. Nowhere does it say, unless you have a cart. <laughs> you know, carry it, da-da-da, walk six steps, da, da da unless you have a cart. No, it's like there's no provision for carrying on a cart. So already they're taking shortcuts to get the presence back among them they're already kind of using the world standards well you know maybe we got those instructions before we invented the wheel and now with this new model or this new method we can do it a new way who's gonna know does it matter but it did matter first Chronicles 13 9 to 11 when they came to the thrashing floor of Chedon Uzzah put out his hand to take care of, take hold of the ark for the oxen stumble. So, oxen stumble, wagon jostles. Uzzah goes, "Oops." and goes to, host, to hold the ark. The anger of the Lord. Oh, by the way, that's a big no-no. Don't touch the ark. It's like Ark 101. Like, it's the first thing they teach you. It's it's more important than don't put it on a cart. But they put it on a cart, so they've already jacked up the rules. And it's like, okay, just try and steady it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And he struck him down because he put out his hand to the ark, and he died there before God. Casually approaching the presence of the God, and he just dies. Well, that escalated quickly. Like, anybody ever felt bad for Uzzah? Like, You're like, I... could, could have done that i understand why that happened he did what he thought he should do in natural circumstances but the problem started way back when they said just throw on a cart let's just be casual about it just throw on a cart natural circumstances allow for natural reactions but they were encountering supernatural circumstances and your natural way of operating does not work in supernatural situations we're calling for the presence of the Lord in a supernatural way and our natural thinking will not get us there or will not host his presence. It was like, what else would you do? You'd steady the ark. No, actually, that's not what you'd do because you were told not to reach out and touch. You can do what comes naturally to you and grieve the Lord. And some of you are like, well, I'm just kind of wired that way. Yeah, we can fix that too. Like you, we're all wired that way. That's why we needed to call on the name of the Lord. And But I'm just, I'm, it's natural to me. Yeah, I know, sin is. When I hear people say, I was born that way, we were all born some way. We all were. And it's natural. And if we respond in natural ways in the presence of the Lord, it, it's dangerous, friends. I think we have made excuses for our personalities when it's really sin. We are enamored with our personalities. We are fascinated by ourselves. We are our favorite subjects. We really are. Everybody wants to know, you know, what kind of 70s sitcom character am I? Let me take the test. You know, everybody is so fascinated with themselves and they want to read books about, you know, I'm a seven wing six with a 4 I'm like, what does that even mean? They're so enthralled with a lot of who we are needs fixed. And a lot of what we do naturally actually does not host the presence well. I'm a seven wing six with a four. I'm like, what is that Obedience is not natural, it's radical. Uzzah dies. Now, what should have happened here, okay? Should have been a bit of an eye-opener, but what should have happened here should have led to wholehearted repentance on the spot. Everybody on their faces, let's go back to the rules of how we deal with the ark, let's pray, let's get right with God, let's get it off the cart, and let's keep moving. But instead, David didn't do that. Tragedy shaped his next step. Confronted with the weight of what they were doing and the realization that oh my word the presence of God is a real thing to deal with here David let fear change his course Remember we talked last week the, op- the the enemy of belief is not unbelief We can carry those two things together the enemy of belief is fear and David lets fear change their course And they stash the thing at somebody's house and continue on without it first chronicles 13 12 to 14 And David was afraid of God that day and he said how can I bring the ark of God home to me? So David didn't take the ark home into the city of David, but he took it to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite It's like Obed, do you have room in your garage? (laughs) Why don't ask questions just cover this with a tarp and don't touch it. Don't put it on a wagon (laughs) The ark of God remained in the house of Hold of Obed-Edom for three months and the Lord blessed the household of e, Obed-Edom and all he had for whatever reason like suddenly Obed-Edom's vegetables are getting bigger and his, his cows are having triplets and things are happening And but David goes on and for, for months they just they allow they allow a what should have been a pause should have been a comma to be a period because it didn't go the way they thought The tragedy of this story, second to Uzzah's death, is that for another three months, the people of God did life without the presence of God, without the fullness of his promises, which they could have had. We all believe God for more, and we believe that we'll see it. But what if we could see it now, but we've allowed a setback to become a delay? What if things have happened and we've just, we just have quit pursuing Three months go by and they live without the presence which they wouldn't have had to. Next week, I'm going to talk about them actually going into the, and bringing it in and bringing into the city and what it means to host the presence of God. This week, I just wanted to charge you. There is so much more than we know. There is so much more of His presence than we're encountering. And hear me, I'm saying that as an encourager, not as a browbeater. Not because you're not doing something right but there is a way to host him and to create space in our hearts that will bear the weight of the glory of God and it will change how we live I want to ask if Rachel will come up real quick stand with me for a minute some of you as we've talked to you perceive a gap between the way you are living And the way you one would need to live to host the presence of the Lord and when I start talking about Uzzah and they put it on a card all that makes you a little nervous because you realize there are things in your own life that could not stand in his presence presence friends the beauty of the Lord is he gives us these stories so that our lives could be different not just that we could be convicted so that we could be free I mean that's that's where he's going with this some of you find yourself acting natural in a situation. You're doing the best you can, but it's actually requiring a supernatural reaction from you. And the more you act naturally, the, digger you, the deeper you dig yourself. And he wants to give you supernatural keys that will allow you to host his presence. Let's just take a few minutes here and enter into worship. Father, we love you. More than anything, we want to know your presence. We want to make space in our own hearts. Whatever those things are that you look around the room and go, I can't sit there. We ask you to bring them to the surface and remove them now, Jesus.
1: Heal my heart and make it clean. Yes,
0: Jesus, make it clean.
1: Open up my to the things I've show me how to love like you, have loved me.
0: Reveal our own hearts to us, God.
1: Break my heart for what breaks yours. Eternity.
0: Make that song a prayer this morning. Just take a few minutes here. Just begin to invite him in. We want to host your presence, Father. There's
1: nothing worth more yes, than can ever come close. God. Nothing can come past. You're my living hope.
0: We're hungry for your presence, Jesus.
1: Yes. Yeah your presence, Lord.
0: Just invite him in. Allow him to reveal things to your heart. Come, Jesus.
1: I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves where my heart becomes free and my shame is up.
0: This isn't about shame and about feeling bad. This is about ridding ourselves so there's room for him. Your
1: presence, it. Lord.
0: Come, Lord Jesus.
1: Holy Spirit, you are welcome. So going to lift your hands
0: and sing that to him. You're welcome.
1: Here. Come to love this place and fill the atmosphere. Come, Lord Jesus. To be overcome by your prayer
0: Lift your voices. He wants to hear Lord your voice. Sing it to him. Holy
1: Spirit, you are welcome. You are welcome in this
0: place, Father God.
1: Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory. overcome by your presence Lord.
0: right now some of you are sensing him resting on you in a way that seems different than in the past or maybe it seems familiar but you sense He's he's resting on you in a supernatural way your, your hands feel a burning your heart is fluttering that's Him. Press in. You draw near to Him. He draws near to you. Come, Lord Jesus.
1: I need you more. Yes, Jesus. More than yesterday. I need you more. Come, Lord Jesus. More than words can say. I need you more. than ever before, I need you more.